0: What is going on, everyone? My name is Caleb Holfeth, and I am the host of The Caleb Holfeth Show on WSJU Radio. This is officially episode one of my show, and if you cannot make our usual time slot of 5 to 7 p.m. on Thursdays on WSJU Radio, then you can catch the show in podcast form, always posted on Fridays right around midday. To stay updated on all my shows, follow me on Twitter at at CMHFilm, that is at CMHFilm, or follow me on Instagram at Caleb.Holfeth. That is at Caleb The Caleb Holt Show will be a wide range of content. Every week I will interview two guests who are not related to each other, may be related in some way, whether it is career path or just the topics we're talking about. We will talk anything from sports to politics to whatever else you can imagine. Today I'm joined by two very special guests on the show. First off, we will have Nick Bellow, who is a St. John's student that works for SJU Athletics, as well as a student associate at Madison Square Garden. Nick and I discuss how he learned he wanted to be a creative and his role in the rising Twitter account Woe's Creative. After Nick, we will be with Sal Capaccio, who is a sideline and beat reporter for the Buffalo Bills and hosts multiple shows with WGR 550 in Buffalo. Sal and I discuss his journey to WGR and radio, as well as some Buffalo Bills in the upcoming offseason. I would like to thank you all for tuning in and introduce my first guest right now. Caleb Holt's show. Every Thursday, five to seven PM. Uh, you know what we do? Talk about sports, some politics, some uh, news, a whole bunch of things, a whole lot of everything. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, St. John's senior Nick Bello. Welcome to the show, Nick. Introduce yourself as you will,
1: please. Thank you, Caleb, for having me. Uh, yeah, so everybody doesn't hello. I'm a senior at St. John's, and I work with the St. John's Department as a creative services intern. Basically, what I do is I take photos and videos um, at all of our sporting events. Started with just men's basketball. Women's basketball has kind of grown to almost every sport now. Um, and then I also have a day job working with the New York Knicks as a student associate in their Marketing strategy department. And then lastly, I do a lot of things. So lastly, um, I also help run a Twitter account called Roach Creative uh, that uh, kind of helps uh, to announce you know, when people in the sports creative industry get jobs. And we kind of also serve as a job board of, of sorts. Uh, we share jobs in the sports world on our Twitter account. So, yeah, if you're a sports uh, media person or you're sports creative, or is, even if you just work in sports or are interested in, interested in working with, in sports, uh, definitely give us a follow. Uh, it's definitely... Worth your time and it's a it's a great account I can't say enough about it (laughs) (laughs) so if you guys couldn't tell Nick is like
0: Mm -hmm. the super creative at St. John's uh doing stuff for athletics doing stuff outside of school at the New York Knicks obviously Woche Creative uh a huge platform with several thousand followers but where I want to start today Nick is Mm
2: -hmm. your
0: journey as a creative before you worked your way kind of into St. John's athletics like what was the first time you picked up a camera? What was the first moment where you were like, you know what, this is what I want to do, whether it was doing some sports stuff, doing not some sports Mm. stuff. And like, you know, this is the journey I want to take.
1: Um, yeah. So like my journey is like, and I've talked to a lot of people in sports about like their dreams and stuff as well. But like my journey is like really different because I just didn't know that like this was a thing until I got to college. So like in high school, I took a, uh, Uh, like a filmmaking class I guess you can call it and that's what really got me interested in like cameras and stuff um I had a lot of fun making films and stuff I made a film about like a fridge that talked and it won an award at like our high school film festival like probably before everything in college was the greatest achievement of my life um but uh yeah so I mean it really my thought of you know Doing this as a job kind of started in high school uh, because I, I knew I really liked it and I knew it was something that was fun to me. Um, I ended up getting a camera this second I graduated from high school with all the graduation money I got and just kind of like messed around with it. Didn't think didn't take it too seriously to be quite. I was just kind of like taking photos of my cat and stuff at home. Um, but when I got to St. John's, like I needed a place to belong, and I kind of found that in our school newspaper. Like so when I. When I applied to be part of the school newspaper, I kind of just signed up. It was like, okay, maybe I'll do this. Um, and then, I so, like, they had, like, an introduction meeting. and was, like, just not thinking of going, but, like, my roommate kind of brought me. And he was like, oh, I'm going to. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go as well. And I ended up, like, getting – be one of their main photographers for that year. And I shot soccer. I'm like, oh, shooting – like, shooting sports was fun. I had no idea like shooting sports was a thing or right? something you can do but like the, the second I shot a soccer game I was like this is so much fun I just wanted to keep doing more and more of that so it kind of so like I just kept asking for more sports assignments So like that year I shot you know all the St. John almost every St. John's men's basketball game for the school newspaper I shot us beating Duke at the Garden which was an awesome experience um yeah and then like kind of after that uh, you know, just kind of wanted to keep doing it, uh, interned over the summer with the summer collegiate baseball league during like reporting and stuff. Um, and then in the fall of my sophomore year, um, I was still shooting, uh, St. John's men's basketball games. And I guess someone in the athletics department realized that I was at every game and I was a student and they were trying to like, I guess, hire interns. So I got called into our, uh, head SID's office, who is not my boss. Um, and he said, uh you know he told me about the program and he's like are you interested I'm like yes like that's what I was looking for I didn't think you know that opportunity exists at St. John's but they kind of like just kind of created that for me because they saw I was so passionate about it and they saw that like yeah I just loved it and it's just it's brought me to places that I never thought I'd go and I couldn't be thankful for St. John's and I at St. John's um as much as I like I like hate school and stuff but like the athletics department at st john's and a lot of people at st john's have really helped me to go to where i am so really can't thank them enough mm-hmm. so now going to
0: st john's mm-hmm. athletics you working for them obviously you mentioned yeah. uh, one thing you did with the duke game at madison square garden where mm-hmm. st john's won um yeah what are kind of some significant moments you've had as a photographer at games where you're like holy like that was awesome or like say I like the Duke one at the at Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden or is there one in like maybe another sport where it wouldn't be as such like a, a big news event but you were like oh that was pretty cool or something some like interesting little little nitbits about um
1: it. yeah so um my sophomore year actually I got to uh I got like a media credential with St. John's to go and photograph us playing at Duke uh, at Cameron and like growing up in you know massachusetts like i was just i was a huge college basketball fan i grew up watching duke basketball and coach k and all that and it was also the year they had zion and rj barrett and stuff so that was like 10 times as cool um that was really cool experience but um honestly like some of the pinch me moments are have come when like you like it wouldn't be a pinch me moment for someone who just got into this like it like they're pinch for me, just because it's it's made me realize like the impact of my work has had on players, coaches, like like other people, for example. Um, so a a lot of that happened last year. So um, the Big East tournament, I was standing next to Mustafa Heron. That was, this was the day that they called our game at the, off at the half. This was during warm him and I were just kind of just sitting there talking and he goes, in the band, I think it was Creighton's band. He looks at the band, he goes, you know, I used to play the tuba. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I used to play the tuba. I was actually pretty good. It was either playing the tuba or or playing basketball. And so like, this is a a completely random story, but like, this has made me realize that like the players, when I get to work with the team, the players see me as one of them and they feel very comfortable with me kind of telling their story um you know so the the greatest like some of the greatest moments I have are like players coming up to me and thanking me for what I do Mm -hmm. because it just it shows that like like I'm like it like it shows that they recognize what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and they're they feel comfortable with me being there and to be able to tell their story like that's probably some of the great like one of the greatest feelings that you can get in this job is the feeling that you are like that they trust you and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
0: That's cool. Very long winded, but yeah. Who, who would have thought that Mustafa Heron plays the tuba?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure if supposed to tell that story, but yeah, yeah. like, it was just so random. Like, I'm like standing there next to his, like, basketball player who's, like, like he's, he's, like, probably one of the best players to play at St. John's in my four years. And he just, like, tells me this. And I'm like, I'm like, looking at him I'm, like, bro, what? <laughs> and, like, it just, like, yeah, and, like, a lot of them, like, I still talk, like, a lot of them, um, I don't keep in contact with them a lot, but, like, a lot of them, like, still follow me on Instagram and, like, comment and stuff. Of, like, LJ Figueroa, when I got the job with the Knicks, he, like, congratulated me. And, mm-hmm. like, so LJ Figueroa is also from Massachusetts, and, like, when he first got on campus, him and I would talk, every, like, every once in a while about Massachusetts and stuff because it was just, like, you know, just something that we had both had in common and stuff. But, like, last year's men's basketball team, I don't. I think that was probably, like, my peak as a creative here at St. John's just because, like, that team really, like, embraced me and trusted me. And I have a lot of shots of, like, great moments of those guys. Like, mm-hmm. some of my favorite shots aren't action shots. Like, actually, none of my favorite shots are action shots, for that matter. Um, they're the moments where, you know, like, I have pictures of Mustafa and LJ hugging after the senior day against Marquette. Mm-hmm. and it's the moments where, you know, you get to see these guys not as, like, athletes, but just as, like, people. Yeah,
0: that's that's, awesome. Those were the
1: coolest moments
0: to me. Yeah, the connection you built with players and yeah. things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, we obviously talked about when St. John's upset Duke, you were mm-hmm. there. That must have been an awesome moment. What's it like being yeah, a photographer awesome. at games like that where you're literally – you're the barrier between the players – and you know thousands of fans shouting mm-hmm. and games during the pandemic where it's yeah. just you and players
1: yeah it's honestly um sometimes can be kind of scary because like sometimes like in the back of my mind like that exact thought comes up and i'm like oh my god like like sometimes it feels like i just don't belong there because i'm so young and it's like i'm like i have to step myself out of it uh for the duke game <laughs> my freshman year like I don't think I really took many photos in the last like two minutes of that game, just because I was so inexperienced and I hadn't really been at a game like that in my life. So I didn't like as a photographer, so I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of like acting as a fan. Which like, if I had to go, if like somehow time travel was a thing and like I went back and I sat next to myself then, I'd probably like punch myself in the face (laughs) because like it was just like. I'm like, what are you, like, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, focus on the action. Don't focus on what's going on. Like, you know, try and, like, tell the story. But, like, you know, as I've gone over, I've gotten to talk to a lot of people who are pros and who have entered me and stuff. And I've become a lot more mature to the point where it's like, you know, shooting a big game like that just, I wouldn't say it's not a big deal, but it's just, like, I don't get too caught up in it. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just do my job. And I do my best at that moment. And that's it. Absolutely. Is it weird having no fans around?
0: Like you hear probably your shutter click. You probably hear everybody talking a lot more. And what's that like?
1: Yeah. So at first it was so weird. So um, before the season began, I shot a women's basketball practice just to kind of like get a feel for the whole new arena and stuff. Because I'm up in the stands now. I'm not on the floor anymore. Mm-hmm. and like when they started playing the crowd noise i'm like what is this like i just kept looking around because i'm like this is just so weird but as the season has gone on i've just gotten so used to it to the point where i don't even hear the crowd noise anymore mm-hmm. or i just like don't like it's just so normal now and it's gonna be yeah. weird you know at a time like post covid whenever we go back to having fans just having mm-hmm. that many people in the building gonna like, be so strange but like i've i think everybody has adjusted to the new normal um mm-hmm. I haven't gotten a chance to ask the players how they feel about it, um, but I'm sure they'd say the same thing where it's just mm-hmm. like, it is what it is now. This is the life we're living. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, it was an adjustment, but once that adjustment was made, it's become pretty easy and normal.
0: Absolutely. So you do work for basketball, lacrosse, mm-hmm. soccer and softball. What's yep. your, what's your favorite sport so far to To do things for, well, and not necessarily practice wise, but like
1: let's say game day. What's your favorite game day, uh, sport to do? Uh, so it used to be it used to be men's basketball because just like the hype that goes around our men's basketball team was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I arrived to either Carlsico or Madison Square Garden like two hours before the game and shoot like shoot around and stuff like that. I just like the build up to games more than the actual game itself. Uh, that's just because. You know, from a storytelling aspect, you can get a lot from that, rather than like sometimes during games. Um, but right now, uh, given all the access I have, I think, uh, and I haven't really shot a men's lacrosse game yet, but like working with my team has been a lot of fun this year, just because um, they've kind of given me a lot of access, and the players are starting to trust me now. As I said before, like when a player, like when a team can trust you, and like they know you're there and they know what you're there for, and they, like interact with you kind of but, like not in a way where it's like overly interacting with you. Um, I think that's awesome. And I think that team has kind of embraced me. Uh, you know, I, every time I go to practice now, they know where I'm going to be. They interact with my camera. Um, a lot of the coaches like thank me for coming to practice and stuff. So uh, working with that team this year has been a lot of fun. I can't awesome. wait for our first game on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, hopefully they end up. Yeah. Um, so
0: we talked about this a little bit earlier there's mm-hmm. uh an increased demand for creatives everywhere whether it's for just photography uh mm-hmm. videography anything a combination of both you know we see mm-hmm. it with sports teams we're seeing it everywhere uh mm-hmm. obviously you were integral in the building of woge creative the twitter page mm-hmm. has a couple thousand followers um it's kind of a like you said earlier, like free agency for creatives, yep. job boards, post jobs, post hirings, a yeah. whole bunch of whole bunch of yeah. things. Uh, where did that idea kind of come to you? And what, do uh-huh. you, like, do you, do you think it's been successful so far? I would say so, but I'm not also sure what your goals with it are.
1: So would you say yeah. you're successful? Um, yeah, so I'll answer the first part of your question first. So <laughs> I like to joke around a lot and I say a lot of ideas that just don't mean anything. This was one of them. Uh, so I was in a group chat with a bunch of people who in the sports career industry that I met over the summer on Zoom and stuff. And I can't remember what was going on, but uh, I actually no, I do remember what was going on. So Nick uh, Colasimo, who's now at Rutgers, uh, was like we knew that he got the job at Rutgers before, or no, this was at Georgia before he went to go to Rutgers. So we knew he got the job at Georgia before. Um, before everybody else did. So like, we were just kind of messing around and I go, uh, or someone like, said that we should announce his, um, no, his his hiring at Georgia as like a, like a NBA reporter or something like that. Something ridiculous. And then I go, wait a minute, what if we made like a fake Woj account and announced it? And everybody's like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. We should really do that. And I'm like, literally like, was like, because like how was. like then like literally five minutes after we had an account up and running, we started following everybody. Like that account gained like a hundred followers in like an hour. Um, hmm. This is like actually becoming a thing. And so we went on to announce Nick's job. Uh, that gave us more of a boost. Um, you know, and then like three thousand followers later, like we're one of the biggest. Or most followed accounts in sports creative community is just like like we always say in the like the guys i run it with um i'll shout, shout them out right now so richard hawk who works for nfl um logan stevens who works for miami of ohio gino velasco who works for troy uh, austin sebo with villanova emily Wido um with liberty uh jackie Mykula with it's a huge team Jackie Michael with Ohio State, who used to work for Ohio State and USA Basketball, and then Juwan Bush uh, with uh, Arkansas State. Um, So yeah, we've added so many people to that team. Uh, It started off as like, I think four or five of us, and it's just kind of grown into this, like we need like a full team now to run everything because there's so many people getting jobs and stuff. But um, yeah, it's just like, it's like one of those things I didn't, like I came into it having no expectations for, but like it's exceeded my expectations solely because we've not like we haven't like changed our goal at all. Like A, we don't make any money off of this account. And then B like the goal of the account, I guess from the start or like from once we knew that we had like something good going was to just like kind of spread positivity in this sports creative community because like we all kind of need it now. And mm-hmm. um, it's like it's done that. And it's exceeded that by like actually like being a part of change in the creative community. Like it's the, like it's so crazy that one of the dumbest ideas I've ever had has had such like a a positive impact on the world. It just doesn't make any sense to me sometimes. And it's just like, this is crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Now,
0: now with like you guys, obviously the one of your Mm -hmm. favorite things that, for me that you guys do is you obviously announce this like the yeah. signings of our job hiring <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that uh yeah. i how did you guys kind of like when say somebody gets hired mm. are they reaching out to you and saying oh i got hired here or do you guys have like such a grasp on the industry now where you're basically automatically finding out when people are getting hired at different places since it's all kind of one big community
1: um yeah so it's like a combination of both um so we've if- we follow a lot of people on Twitter, like between the seven of us. And so a lot of so we'll like either we'll see on our personal page while we're scrolling through Twitter and then we'll send it into our group chat and then be like, hey, can someone take this? Um or the other way around where people will actually DM us like before they even announce it, which is also crazy. Like some of the biggest people biggest names in sports, like like creatives like have dm does those and like hey I'm going here don't say anything I'm gonna make an announcement soon um and I'll let you know when and like that (laughs) part's that that part's still like I can't do the mental gymnastics around like grasping how that even happened or how we've Mm -hmm. become that um so yeah it's a combination of the both uh it takes a lot of work a lot of like us communicating about who's grabbing what um and yeah it just like yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's
0: a lot. Absolutely. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to ask you, where do mm-hmm. you think Woach Creative is going to be in one year? And in addition to that, where <laughs> do you think you're going to be in one year?
1: Uh, well, I'll start for myself because Woj Creative is such, such a hard question. Uh, <laughs> myself, hopefully fully employed um, in, in athletics. Um, working with a you know professional team or college team. I think it's more like can we get hired by a college team or like a, like a professional team like the USL or something rather than like a NFL, NBA, or MLB team. Um, so hopefully, you know, working full time um, for a college team. That'd be, that's the goal right now and that's what I'm working towards. Um, in terms of which creative, the short answer, I don't know. Um, because just like, as I've said with that account, like just so many random randomly good things have happened. Like the less than a year that we've run that account, it's gone to the point where I don't know where we're going to be. You know, we're partnering with a lot of good companies and a lot of people keep giving us ideas uh, for the future. Um, So hopefully those partnerships last. um, And that like, you know, we keep, I guess, gaining momentum to the point where like, I don't know, people maybe outside the sports industry know about us and know what we do, and maybe this concept gets, you know. I I honestly – I really don't know. Uh, (laughs) It's it's so crazy uh, to even think about, like, where we are now and how we got there. Like, Mm -hmm. if you were to tell me, like, this time last year, before COVID and all this happened, that I would run a – help run a Twitter account that would unite the sports care community, and have three thousand plus followers i'd get to meet some of the people i autolyzed at that point in time like because
0: mm-hmm.
1: now i know people this it, it sounds very narcissistic <laughs> but now i know people that i like analyzed like last year mm-hmm. and it's like so weird to me um like if you were to tell me that then like i wouldn't believe you and i think that's like the same now like i just mm-hmm. i don't know the sky's the limit i guess
0: that's a good attitude about it um mm-hmm. so obviously your goal in a year would be employed by, you know, college team, professional team, whatever. What's your, what's your dream? When you first figured out what you wanted to do this, what, what's like that dream job, whether it's an organization, a team, a, a whole league, because there's a lot of people employed mm-hmm. by the league. What's your like dream job? The one that you're like, that's the one I want.
1: Uh, you know, it changes constantly because I see uh, how certain teams uh creative departments operate and like I'll be like oh I like how they operate maybe I'll work for them one day that's my dream job for like a week and then I'll see another team I'm like oh that's awesome um yeah so it first started out um with Duke basketball I think Duke basketball has always been the standard for you know all this like I've been watching their YouTube videos since I was like in like middle school and Mm -hmm. they've always had this standard of excellence when it comes to Not only their on-court product, but like their off-court product in terms of social media and stuff. So I would love to work for them. Um, I know uh, Steven Ochoa, who is currently there right now. He's a great guy. So I hope he stays there because the stuff that he makes is so insane. Um, But I think, you know, maybe one day down the road, if I could work with him at Duke basketball, that'd be awesome. Um, And even Reagan Lund, their photographer, like he was my idol for, and he still is my idol for in terms of how you cover basketball, like college basketball and all that. Um, If you go back and look at his stuff from when Zion was there, like it's just absolutely insane. Um, You know, honestly, this is kind of, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, but uh, I'd love to one day uh, like work on like a political campaign. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the, like, the gold stand, the gold standard for me for documenting. and I've seen a lot of this lately is um, how uh, P covered Barack Obama yep. and I've, I would love to do that for like a political candidate just because like the access you get and the history that you get to tell with that is like barman um, so actually going back to like my, how it started and stuff like. Still, absolutely love history so the like to be able to give him the chance to like produce photos and video for like future generations to see as like in like a history book would be awesome to me and i think that like maybe just being like you know a white house photographer would be a dream Mm -hmm. goal of mine um just in terms of sports though like i don't know being able to work with like a being like one of the head guys for like a pro team Like any pro team, I don't care if it's the Yankees, Red Sox. I'm from Massachusetts, so preferably the Red Sox. But if the Yankees (laughs) are me, I wouldn't be mad. Um, Yeah, just like any pro team would be like the goal, Mm -hmm. I guess. That's awesome. I like your uh, political
0: campaign Mm -hmm. aspirations because that's like a very complete change of pace from what sports creative stuff is like.
1: See, you'd think that, but it's really not – same a lot of, yeah it's the same concept especially photography i think i think some of the best sports photographers have like that journalistic aspect to their photography that's mm-hmm. like that you see with people covering like biden yeah like a lot of the associate like the getty images the associate press guys who cover like capitol hill and stuff like a lot of them could shoot sports and be good at it as well mm-hmm. i think and oh, absolutely yeah it's yeah it it's like all the same, but it's also not all the same at the same time. It's yeah, very, I,
0: yeah. I like how you're not yep. limiting yourself. Creates more opportunities. No. Uh, so speaking about that, like opportunities mm-hmm. and such, uh, I think you do a good job of this. Um, and I know that mm-hmm. there's tons of people in the creative industry who struggle with this. Is how mm-hmm. do you set yourself apart um, from other creatives in, in a in a good way? Not set yourself apart is like, oh, you don't want to work with yeah. him. But how do you set yourself apart? that in a way that will lead to opportunities like opportunities you've gotten working with St. John's mm-hmm. athletics, obviously was creative and your role um, with the Knicks. So how do you mm-hmm. take those steps, especially as a college student, while you're so busy,
1: you know, with school
0: and all mm-hmm. and other stuff, how do you set yourself apart?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's a very simple answer to that. It's just, I make, like I've photographed things. I make videos about things that i enjoy and that's just like how i work so like some people like just doing action shots that's fine but like that's just not me i like doing I like taking photos and videos of things away from the action like guys you know like sitting on the bench before the game guys doing stuff pregame and stuff so it's always been for me about like if i like it and if this is what like this is like the work I enjoy seeing, someone else is gonna enjoy seeing it. So that's, that's just kind of like in simple terms, how I, I guess, have separated myself. It's just, I just do what I feel, what like people like myself would like. Um, but yeah, like in terms of like, you know, just in general, uh, you know, I always, I always show up to games on time and stuff. I always, you know, um, I'm always trying to get better as a creative. Uh, I think that's why people like like working with me. It's just because like I'm always trying to improve. I don't think that like all of my work right now is like 100% where I wanted it to be. And some people may think that great. I don't. That's just it. Kind of gives me something to keep going. It gives me something to keep striving for. And I think you know if you could keep constantly improving, just show that like you can be adaptive to the current you know situation we're in. You know, your work can keep changing over time. I think that's when people are going to want to hire you. People will to want to keep you around for a long time.
0: Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. Nick, I appreciate you coming on the show mm-hmm. uh, for this interview. It was great talking to you. You can follow Nick at nbello8 on both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure yep. to follow Woe's Creative. Check out, yep. you'll see his content littered through St. John's Athletics pages, <laughs> whether it's basketball, lacrosse, athletics. Um, you'll see it all. And Nick, again, thanks for joining me. best of luck for on the rest of the the season for you, your last semester at St. John's. And I, I wish you the best in the future after that. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, thank you, Caleb for doing this, this is awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely everybody give Caleb a shout out as well. like Caleb's awesome. you know I mean this like doing a show like this and creating content for it, you know, even though it's not like visual content, it's not easy and stuff so definitely hats off to you like this. This is awesome. and like, You know, you have a bright future ahead of you as well. So awesome. Thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate you coming on. No problem, man. So welcome back
0: to the Caleb Holford show. We have a second guest for today, Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 in Buffalo. He is the beat and sideline reporter for the Buffalo bills and host of several things. Uh, the extra point with Sal Capaccio, Sal sports and stuff. Does Sal's all-access live from the Bills Stadium on game day? And you can see him all over WGR, and there's several radio shows throughout the day. Sal, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me.
2: Yeah, anytime. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Sal, you were born and raised in Western New York, obviously. I assume a diehard Bills fan and likely Sabres fan. You attended Syracuse University. Uh, you bleed orange, you say, you know – I, myself, am from Rochester, New York, so I'm a big Orange fan, even though I went to the rival uh, New York school, almost, in St. John's University, but could you tell me a little bit about your journey from Syracuse University to where you are now at WGR 550?
2: Yeah, look, uh, you know, I I did grow up in Western New York. I grew up in Chictawaga, and I was the kid who literally, like, I was to be, I would record Bills and Savers games and pretend I was announcing them and then go back and listen later, you know, and, and kind of air check myself. So I'm literally doing what I've wanted to do my whole life. And, you know, people are uh, to have that ability and, and opportunity. I'm super lucky. Obviously a lot of people don't. Um, and Syracuse was the place that I learned that all these broadcasters went to right. So, you know, Bob Costas, Don Fricky, Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, even like Ted, Ted Koppel from nightline back in the day, Dick Clark rocking New Year's Eve, you know, whether it's news or sports, you know, sports was the thing where I saw that. So I wanted to, and, it was a pretty big culture shock. I went from a very small school, uh, Cleveland Hill High School in Chitawaga with 350 people in the whole school to a (laughs) college with like 20,000 people on campus, right? So, um, but, and there were a lot of people who had the same dream as me and, you know, I didn't realize how competitive it was and things like that. Um, But, you know, here's the thing. So I learned when I was at Syracuse, it wasn't about, you know, I've always been a person who got involved, uh, you know, and I've always been kind of like the Energizer Bunny. I was a Three sport athlete in high school. I was involved in the musical. I was a drummer and jazz band, things like that. So when I was at Syracuse, I was doing everything. I was in the radio station, Z89. I was, you know, part of, you know, the TV station, stuff like that. And a lot of my friends who were, and other people who were trying to get in the business, they weren't doing things like that. And I think that gave me a leg up, you know, and I I think I realized later that that's, you know, one of the things I always tell kids getting in this business is do as much as you can. You know, being on air is, is your resume. It's not your, Piece of paper that said you graduated or what your GPA is. It's how you look and sound and be willing to do all that. Well, uh, a friend of mine from high school, his um, his cousin was running a very small radio station in Florida, and he said, "Hey, if you're looking for a job, why don't you contact him and maybe he's got something for you?" So I did, and he said, "Hey, yeah, we could use you, but we're a very small station, and you got to come down here and sell like advertising, basically." Which I learned later at Syracuse, working at Z eighty nine, that like that's you have to do that if you get in this business, you kind of have to be someone willing to you know, sell and, you know, put, you uh, be able to generate money like that and wear multiple hats. So I went down and I did that. And Caleb, this station was like, so small, this town was so small. We were literally doing on the air play-by-play of little league baseball from across the street, <laughs> which was awesome because all the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas bought it up and listened to it. And, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but that's how small it was, you know, and I was doing stuff on the air, which was cool. And I was selling, I hated selling, hated it so much. I didn't want to do it, but you know, you had to, And, um, you know, I, I, uh, at a couple of years into it, I'm, you know, not really progressing the way I want. I think when you're young, you think that you're going to get in this business and be on ESPN like that. Right. And that's just the mentality and that wasn't happening. You know, it's, it's just not, it's not the reality. So, um, I was getting a little bit, you know, frustrated, but at the same time, there was this town was very sleepy. There wasn't a lot going on. So I needed more to do. I started coaching. Um, I was coaching little league baseball and pop Warner football on the side. I liked it a lot. The high school coach came to me and he said, You know, you do a good job here. Do you want to join my football staff, the high school football staff? And I said, Sure. And I went, I started coaching high school football and I loved it so much that I said, You know what? Maybe this is my path. I literally left radio, went back to the University of South Florida, got certified to teach. I became a high school teacher for 10 years. I was a social studies teacher. I was a football coach. I was a track coach. Loved it. Um, It was great. But at the same time, I always felt these competitive juices or at least media juices still flowing in me. It was always my passion. And I always wanted to, you know, still get involved. And um, around 2007, there was an opening at WGR that I applied for. And it's when podcasting had just started. And I was doing a little bit of podcasting on the side at a a, a very, you know, startup network. It was called mysportsradio.com. It was kind of new. Nobody really knew what podcasting was. And that was kind of like how I gave them my resume. Oh, I'm doing this Bill's podcast. They really liked me, but they didn't have a job for me full time. But they said, if you ever want to move here, we'll hire you and you can start over from the bottom. Well, it's hard to do when you're a teacher and a full-time job and you're married and you got a wife and she's got a full-time job. But I, you know, we, uh, I sat with my wife and talked about it. And a few years later, she was uh, changing jobs and she said, if you really want to go to Buffalo, let's do it. So I, I did, I made the leap of faith and we basically dropped everything, moved back to Buffalo for me to start over in radio at the age of 37, which is pretty incredible. And I was back at the bottom and I was substitute teaching on the side just to make money here in the city and then one thing leads to another and you work your way up and you make contacts and boom, boom, boom. And now suddenly I'm, you know, the beat reporter of the Bills and a sideline reporter and on TV and things like that.
0: That's pretty awesome. You don't often hear of people like starting radio, leave radio and then come back, you know, at right. 30, 37. And, and to get where you are now is, is pretty incredible. Uh, and even willing to at 37 start back and say, like, right. I have to you know, start at this entry level, but I'm willing to work my way up. Um, really shows a lot about you, and it's quite an incredible journey. Now, we'll talk about Syracuse for a second. Syracuse basketball, obviously one of the most exciting times of the year coming up in March Madness. Syracuse currently right now, in my opinion, on the outside looking in, a lot of people may agree, some may disagree, but it's coming to be that time of year where not all of that matters because you have the conference tournaments. It's that last-ditch effort in. And surprisingly this year, the ACC, uh, which – conference syracuse is in formerly of the big east which is the uh, school i attend where we're in that conference which is a whole bunch of fun but syracuse uh they have a shot i would say because the acc is not as strong as usual they are right now sandwiched in the standings between the usual blue bloods north carolina and duke uh there are some quality teams at the top in virginia and florida state but what are your thoughts on the syracuse basketball team so far this season and going forward into the conference uh tournament. And do you really think they have a shot to make a run in that?
2: Probably not. I think they're just so inconsistent. You know, it's funny because I grew up a Syracuse basketball fan and you're know, you too young to remember, but you'll know the names like Derek Coleman and Ronnie Cycley and Billy Owens Mm -hmm. and all those guys and Sherman Douglas. And they were great. And I was in high school like, yeah. And then I go to Syracuse and literally, I went to Syracuse. I was on campus the fall after they, they were the first two seed to ever lose in the first round. They lost to Richmond in 1991 Richmond was the first 15 seed ever win over a two seed. And that was Syracuse and Bayheim and oh my God. And I was there right after that. And the basketball team kind of took a little bit of a lull and the football team was really good in the nineties. And they were in the top 10, Donovan McNabb and all that came along and Marvin Graves. When I was there, but I was a huge Syracuse basketball fan. And then in 96, right after I got out, they go back to the title game with John Wallace and you know, those guys and they lose to Kentucky. Um, I've always been, always been a huge Syracuse basketball fan. Um, and I, 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 to the point where like, I follow recruiting and stuff like that. And I think that what's really disappointing me is, and this goes hand in hand with this year, particularly why I say, I don't see a run in them. It's, it's the same thing every year. It seems like, you know, used to be the standard of Syracuse, come on, like they're going to be a, a four or five seed and maybe even higher, and they're going to hopefully make a run. Now it's, they're on the bubble every year and that shouldn't be the standard at Syracuse. And it is now, and it's really disappointing to me. Um, they, to me have the kind of team that has never really changed. And you see all these one and dones all over the place. I'm not saying that, you know, we have had some a few one and dones here or there, but it seems like the kids that Bayheim recruits these days are kind of like the same kids he recruited in the nineties. And I don't think that gets you to where you need to be in basketball anymore. I think you need to be, you know, have better athletes and and play a little different style. And there's a big thing about zone and man to man. And I don't care about all that. I, I do think though, that Jim Bayheim as much as respect for him, as I have, maybe it is time for some new blood eventually here, you know, in the next few years to see if they can take the direction of the program back to the next level. Because this year is, to me, like I said, not the kind of year where I think they can make a run. Now, sure, if Buddy if Bayheim Buddy gets hot and if Alan Griffin, you know, does what he's supposed to do and if Jesse Edwards comes at center and, and starts playing like he did the last couple of games, those are a lot of ifs, right? So I'm not going to bank on them, but sure, beat uh, beat Clemson on Wednesday. Whenever this is there, we don't know. But, you know, beat Clemson on Wednesday, we don't know. make a couple Get a couple wins in the ACC, you're back in it but I hate being just back in it. I want to be a team that I know is a, a, a four seed, you know, as we sit there in early March and go, okay, how much higher can you get?
0: Yeah. I remember because talking about who you grew up with, with playing Syracuse basketball, I grew up in the era of like Johnny Flynn and then, yes. you know, all those guys Fab Mello rest in peace to him, but ton. And then even the Malachi Richardson run, I remember that, that tournament run when, when that was kind of the beginning of when Syracuse really wasn't like one of those top teams. And then there was kind of like, Oh, a reminder like Syracuse isn't done yet because that, that tournament run they went on. But since then it's just kind of been this in, inconsistent play in uh, tons of it too. And I think it does, it is kind of that older recruiting tactic that uh, Bayheim has where he's resorting on these long careers. And, and there's yes. been a lot of guys who have not necessarily panned out for Syracuse. I will. And I guys will that have that. left
2: early, maybe they shouldn't, right? Maybe we've seen mm-hmm. guys who left early and I get that that happens in every program, um, I think the sanctions really did hurt the, the the program though for a while, you know, back when they had the sanctions, it, it hurt their scholarships and things like that. But, you know, it's good to see them in the mix with some of these high recruits, but it doesn't seem like they really land one. And then when they do land one and then all of a sudden, no, he's not going to come to campus. He's going to go to the NBA draft and stuff like that. Um, by the way, I miss the days of, I remember um, Malik Sealy and Felipe Lopez at St. John's and those guys. Mm-hmm. And I went to Syracuse right after Chris Mullen and you know, that era. Um, mm-hmm. So that was great. Luke Karnaseka was the coach when I was, when I was at Syracuse. So I miss those days. I miss Georgetown and the rivalry in Syracuse and St. John's and you'll appreciate that, you know, as a St. John's guy. So, um, you know, it, it, it was fun back then. It They just haven't been that good in the ACC. They're always a middle of the pack ACC team. And that's disappointing. I, I had this discussion with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, we were watching a game and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if Jim Boeheim retired today, just retired today, how desirable, I said, actually the way I put it was, I'm sorry. I said, if, if every single, d1 job came open today every one of them where does syracuse fall on the list and he's like i don't know it's not you know it's down there and i'm like man that's just when i was growing up syracuse like a top 10 job easily it's just not like that anymore and that's what's disappointing
0: yeah i'm i'm one of those people now that UConn's back in the big east i'm all in on like let's get the band back together syracuse come back home because i i remember those rivalry days the even I'll, I'll never forget the one like Syracuse basketball memory I have is when I was growing up, my parents didn't let me have like uh, my phone, my iPod or like any any little gaming device in my room um, when I was going to bed. So I had this little radio I got at a garage sale once for like two bucks. And I remember listening to the whole six overtime Syracuse yes. game in bed, literally like in middle school. And I'm, like, in this old radio that, like, statics out every every 10, 15 seconds. So I'm, like, adjusting it the whole time. Can I tell you a great story?
2: Let me tell you a great story about that game, okay? So I was living in Florida at the time, and I was getting trying to get back in the business. So I was actually covering USF a little bit. I was driving up some games. You know, it's like a two-hour ride. But I I said, you know, to do stuff like this, if I want to get back in the game, I cannot do that. So I'm covering USF basketball. And I want really, I'd never been to the big East tournament and I wanted to go. So I, I applied for press credentials and I got granted press credentials. I flew up to New York to go to the big East tournament, but the way they do it is you can only go to the session where the team you're covering is playing unless you're like a Mm -hmm. national person. So I'm going to watch USF essentially, but I had known other people in the business and stuff like that. Well, USF is out and a buddy of mine says, he goes, Hey, you know, if you want to come down and, you know, sit, sit with me, my. He had a cameraman that couldn't make it. He was sick. He's like, sent me to watch a Syracuse game. I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. So I did. So I watched one of the Syracuse games that way. But what happened was Syracuse goes on to play UConn. And I really want to go, but I don't have a credential for that particular session in that game. So I'm like, what can I do here? And I'm thinking about it. This is great. So I took my press credential I had from the other game and I went, I'm like, maybe they won't realize, but they're all color coded. So I take the credential from the other game and I go, and I'm literally in like the kind of the lobby of MSG. And I'm like trying to figure out how do I get in. And like kind of say, oh, I'm here to cover this game. But I didn't know how. Well, all of a sudden, the Syracuse band comes walking in. And one of the security guys takes the rope line and he clicks it and he turns his back. And I walked in with the Syracuse band, just like I was part of the band. And I basically went back down to that spot that my buddy had me sitting in the game before to cover Syracuse because he wasn't going to be there. His buddy wasn't going to be there. And I sat there and I was on press row for the entire six overtime game when I shouldn't have been.
0: That that that's quite an incredible story. And what makes it even more incredible is that it was the six overtime game. It's like it's incredible, that right? Is, that's right. That's a, that's a cool story for just like any game. And then let alone <laughs> like one of the most notable college basketball games you could say ever. And
2: I still watch it on YouTube, and I point to my bald head. And I tell my buddies that's me <laughs> on the first row right there.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned the Big East uh, tournament because at WSU um, I'm one of the sports directors, so we cover the. St. John's basketball, we do like the play, play-by-play play stuff, all like that. So we get to go to the Big East tournament. But my freshman year, I was a freshman, so I was low on the totem pole, didn't get to go. It's given to the older guys. My sophomore year, uh, I did a really good job of broadcasting, and they they said I could go, but then I decided to go abroad in the spring, and that, was, and that was last spring. So then COVID happens, we get sent home. I end up not being able to go to the Big East tournament. This year, because oh. of the still – still going on restrictions i have virtual access but not like in-person access so i've done wow. i've done stuff at madison square garden before but i've never been to a big east tournament and it's like the one thing that i i really want to do and i'm graduating early so i won't have the opportunity next uh next <laughs> spring so i like i'm oh i struck out i was 0 for 4 in college uh, when i, east,
2: I when syracuse but. went to the uh, final four in 03 they were in new orleans and they played Texas and they won. And my buddy was there and he calls me and he goes, you need to get here. I, the, people are unloading their tickets left and right. So I'd just been married a month. And I said to my wife, I said, I want to go to New Orleans. And she's like, all right, that's fine. So I, we had to have any kids or anything. So I, I flew to New Orleans, got a ticket from a scalper, a Texas fan for 220 bucks. I sat 40 rows up center court in the Superdome for the national championship game against Kansas. Um, and it was incredible. And after I d- did that, I went to Harris Casino, won 400 playing craps. So I basically paid for the entire <laughs> weekend, but I was there for it. It was pretty incredible.
0: That's awesome. Now, we obviously, I, we both hope that Syracuse basketball makes the tournament unlikely. Same thing for St. John's, unlikely, but you never know. Um, right. Moving on to kind of the sports you cover, at least more and the sports, at least I think I'm interested in a little bit more, the Buffalo Bills, uh, a little bit of Buffalo Sabres obviously owned by the pagula family both um and it's kind of odd we're seeing the sabers move one direction and we're seeing the buffalo bills move one direction it kind of seems both are happening at quite the rapid pace mm-hmm. uh, i don't i don't know my sports history is very strong but i don't think it's strong enough to tell you that i've ever seen this happen to an owner that owns two teams one of them is uber successful right now and has all the potential in the world and the other one is slowly making its way to the to the very bottom of its league uh, but this has to be a very rare occurrence in sports and I just want to get your thought on kind of
2: what's going on um, well I think I don't think you find many situations like this first of all right I mean can we think of any I guess Reinsdorf the Bulls and the White Sox might qualify back in the day yep. right the White Sox the Bulls were really good and I have to go back and the White Sox were good for a while but you know, it's, it's different leagues. Um, Paul Allen with the Portland trailblazers and Seattle Seahawks. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. but you don't really find it. And the thing about it is, um, I think it's, it's unfair to just say, Oh, ownership because you can look directly at the bills. When we talk about the Sabres, you say, you know, just ownership, because you can look directly at the bills and they've gotten it right. I mean, really now they've owned the, the bills since 2014 And it was only halfway through that year. So for how many full seasons, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, six full seasons, Mm -hmm. they made the playoffs three times, you know, so in half the years they've owned for full seasons, they've made the playoffs, whereas the Sabres only the first year they owned it, they made it. So it's clearly, it's not, oh, ownership is doing something wrong, but you can say, well, on the hockey side, what has gone wrong? And I think the difference is they found the right people in football and they haven't found the right people in hockey. And then the next question is, well, why is that? I don't know. I mean, there, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes you just go with somebody and they're the right person. And sometimes you think they are, and they're not, they've gone with several people in hockey and it just hasn't been the right person. But to me, it's not an ownership problem at all. I think what it is is ownership, hiring people. And those people are, I guess, you know, there's not the right people. Um, I, I've wondered if they need somebody like a director of hockey operations, so to speak, maybe to, to help them out but they've never really gone in that direction i do think there's an argument to be made for that um, they don't have that it's just the gm it's the head coach i think one thing we've all recognized though caitlin we all i think most people agree the bagulas have tried to replicate what they have in B- being a mcdermott on the hockey side they see what brandon being a sean mcdermott are and they say we want that in hockey and i think that's what And to me ralph kruger is very much like sean mcdermott now it's turning out that he's not the right guy it looks like right but how do you know? I mean, you can't see the future, but I think they see Kevin Adams and Ralph Kruger when they hired those two kind of like together paired them as they're being a McDermott, but it's not that easy. Right. So the, the simple answer is, I don't know, you know what the answer is, but I don't think the problem is ownership because ownership has gotten it right on the football side.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting to see how, you know, one sport, and although the sports are very different, one sport, they've gotten it almost as right as you can get it. I don't think there's been a better coach GM hiring like pair that they've been hired in the same kind of calendar year. Although McDermott was there before the the first draft and Bean came in right after. Um, I don't think that's very common. So I think that's a very solid pair. And then you look at hockey and they've tried to replicate it, but they've struck out a couple of times. And it'll be interesting to see if they keep that same mentality in hockey or decide to go a different route in the future. Because obviously Buffalo fans have been frustrated for so many years for, because of football and hockey. Now it's now because football is doing well, it seems like there's just a, a, the same amount of anger, but it's all being directed towards hockey now, which kind of makes things even more, more stressful, I would imagine, for the Pagoulas and for the Buffalo Sabres organization. But moving to at least the successful franchise, the Buffalo Bills, probably the biggest off – well, I will say the biggest offseason for the Bills in my life uh, as I was born in 2000. So this is crucial. It's kind of taking that from contender to championship-level jump um, in the most difficult of circumstances. This is the first year, and I can't remember how long, I think my whole life too, that the cap has actually gone down. Um, So that's like a super rarity, not just – in in football, but in any sport. Uh, so the cap has gone down, making it very difficult. But if there's, like I tell all my Bills fans, friends, if there's anybody I want, you know, sailing the ship, it's Brandon Bean. Uh, so this offseason, we've already struck out on J.J. Watt. A lot of Bills fans are like, oh, super bummed about it. I'm not, because I'm all like, we, I have faith in Brandon Bean to do the right thing. Uh, what are some, or just a couple things you think the Bills need to address this offseason?
2: Well, I think... Um... You know, obviously, if you listen to Brandon Bean's end of season press conference, uh, one thing he mentioned was tight end. Like he specifically said, you know, we didn't feel the tight end threatened the defense enough. So I think that's an area that everyone is kind of concentrating on. And I have I've written about it. OK, well, here's some tight ends, not only via free agency, but what about trading? I think you know, last year that Stephon Diggs trade, what that showed was he's willing to strike if he feels there's a guy and he'll he'll pay the price because this is where they are they're in this window now he doesn't make the step on digs trade if it's 2018 right i mean it's just they're not ready to do that they need the first round pick but they were ready to take that next step and i think he's in the kind of the same boat mentality right now throughout this window so is there a trade to be made for a tight end is there someone that doesn't mean that dawson knox stinks or he shouldn't be on the team i like dawson knox but i think they need a little bit more than that they need a, a true guy like granted i understand that Travis Kelsey's don't fall off trees. I get it. But even he said like, that's the kind of guy you want, right? Y'all you, you want a guy who can really put pressure on the defense to have to defend them and open other things up. And I think the other thing is it's clear that they have to get more pressure with the front four. I mean, you look what happened in the playoffs. They just didn't get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. The, the, um, the Buccaneers did. They found a way to um, you saw what happened in that particular game. I think you want to bridge the gap between you and the chiefs. It's a getting pressure with your front four, so edge, defensive end, and it's also getting a little faster on offense, whether that's at tight end, which helps, or just a playmaker. Now, I don't care if that guy has running back or wide receiver or whatever attached to his name. Somebody who, ha- when he has the ball in his hands, he can make things happen. I've said on the air, what they need is Isaiah-, Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button. That's what they need, right? I mean, a guy just like him, but even more dynamic.
0: Absolutely, and going back to the tight end talk, I think, you know, there isn't, a Bills fan who is like, oh, our tight ends stink. Well, there might be a couple, but I, I like you, am a big Dawson Knox fan. I think he has tons of potential, but just like in college, the production isn't quite there. That's why he fell to the Bills um, as late as he did in well, the third round, I believe, possibly early fourth, uh, jogging my memory here. But I'm, I think he has a lot of potential, but it's hard to be a championship-caliber team relying on players potential instead of what they have shown to do and what they can do. So obviously we've, there's a lot of available options. There's free agency, you have John U. Smith, um, a couple other guys, but obviously cut the other day was Vikings tight end, Kyle Rudolph, former teammate of Stefan Diggs, And he's just one of the many COVID cuts so far. I call them players who have big contracts or are veterans on medium-sized contracts the the teams just needed to save the money they need to get under the cap or they need to create a little air uh leeway for themselves for free agency we saw Kyle Van Noy with the Dolphins just after one year was sort of a surprising cut um yep. Von Miller as well his player option was not picked up JJ Watt clearly a, a cut but that was less of a COVID you could that was more of an organization and player parting ways but uh Obviously, I think this is just the beginning more to come. So the Bills will have several options uh, right now in
2: the tight end market. Who who really intrigues you as an option? Yeah, I like John U. Smith a lot. I, I, I think, you know, John U. Smith, to me, he's just been in a he's been a very run heavy system. Uh, the Titans have run the ball the third most times in the league over the last three years uh, by percentage of plays. I did some math on that to see like why because his production isn't like off the charts. But when he has had the ball he's done good things. He's very good with the ball in his hands. He's a very good athlete. I think he's a mismatch. I think he needs to be in a system that can really highlight that. Um, the same thing with a guy like Gerald Everett. I think Gerald Everett, because, you know, Gerald Everett plays, he's got Tyler Higbee, they kind of split time, you know, and he's done really well. Now the question is you get a guy like Gerald Everett. What if you do make him the true number one tight end? Can he have that bump of production or does he need to be more of a complimentary piece? That's something you have to uh, answer there. I think Hunter Henry would be a very enticing target uh he was franchise tagged last year so he's going to be more expensive to do we don't know if the chargers are going to do that for him uh, but this is a guy i think that really has all the elite traits that you look for in a tight end but i brought up some trade possibilities and i think the Bills should at least make a call on evan ingram now i know he's had some drops you know so has dawson knox but evan ingram is a really good player um he even had a pro bowl year last year you know whatever that's worth and you're he, six million dollars on his fifth year option coming up that's not cheap but it's also not you're not paying in the stratosphere for tight ends at that price and the same thing goes for david and joku I, I think his time has probably come in cleveland um i really liked him coming out of college from miami but you know they went they signed austin hooper um they have the other tight end his name escapes me right now over there that they signed that they have last year they drafted and then you know they they um they don't he's basically the number three guy and he's had some rumblings before about maybe moving on and stuff like that so i think you look into um, Harrison Bryant, by the way, is the guy I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. You, you have Bryant and you have Hooper, but I think Ingram and Joku, guys like that, or at least guys you call on. And then what's going to happen with Zach Ertz? I'm not interested in Zach Ertz at eight million dollars a year, which the Bills would have to pay. But I am interested in Zach Ertz if becomes available on a much cheaper price.
0: Absolutely, I think there's several options. I, I'm a big fan of the trade option. I love NFL trades; they seem rare to me. Uh, especially, I'm a big advocate of the player for player trade. Yeah. So you know, if there if there's a guy that that maybe they somebody needs a linebacker and they have a tight end. A.J. Klein for a tight end and maybe a, we'll attach a pick to it, stuff like that. I'm, I love those trades. But uh, obviously a lot of options. I'm a big fan of the Evan Ingram option. I write for a site called Pro Football Mania. Uh, I did a piece on Evan Ingram, uh, t- five teams that should trade for him. I put the bills there just because they need tight end help, although I would I'm not sure what the Giants would ask. I think probably is second or third, just because he was named an all pro, which kind of is odd to me. I don't, there's a lot of backlash about that on the internet once that happened due to his drops and things like that. But I think he has like, tons of potential and is an upgrade, very special athlete, but moving on from the tight end position, you said the pass rush, uh, obviously several guys, uh, the Bills signed last season to multi-year deals, but they're kind of deals that Brandon Bean can easily get out of. Um, We've seen a lot of chatter on Bill's Twitter of, you know, let's cut these players, blah, 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 whatever. Starla Tule is coming back for the Bills. So there's kind of this log jam in the defensive line, which makes it hard because you also, that's one of the areas where I think honestly it would be one of the most important to improve upon uh, if you want to take that next step to beat the Chiefs. That's kind of seems to be what the Buccaneers figured out is, you know, that's the Chiefs kryptonite, you know, with, Without those tackles, they couldn't block at all. With those tackles, they're still not the greatest. Uh, so what do you think Brandon Bean does with the defensive line, the situation, potential cuts, potential signings in the offseason? I'll give you a quick little – My I love Dalvin Tomlinson as, as a player to sign. I think – I wouldn't be surprised if being cut Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, or uh, Quinton Jefferson, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he restructured some of those deals. Um, instead of completely getting rid of the players because they still do provide some value uh, for Buffalo. But what are your thoughts on the defensive line? Yeah,
2: I, I think we have to put defensive tackle, and defensive end in two different buckets here, right? Because mm-hmm. star is the equate star is the X factor with star coming back. And you have to assume he's going to be back. Um, you know, just so people know the opt out did not include 2021, just 2020, but the league did say they're going to revisit it, you know, so they could have another opt out situation. Then does a guy like star say, I'm not playing again. I don't know. But in the meantime, that's, that's down the road, so you have to count on him being there. You have to think he's going to be playing and structure your team as if he's going to be on the team, and you know, I think him being back would make Ed Oliver a lot better as well. I think Ed Oliver suffers from not having a guy like Starr next to him. He's a smaller, penetrating defensive tackle, and he needs that. So that, to me, makes both Je- uh, Butler and Jefferson expendable, A, because of that, but also because, yeah, that that's to me the two most likely cut candidates to save space. You can save $13 million in cap space and only take a $3 million dead hit essentially by releasing those guys. Um, So I I think those are probably the two guys. I do not see the bills necessarily going out and trying to sign defensive tackles. Um, I think the the moves they need to make are right there in house, either, either they move on from those guys and stars coming back, or like you said, maybe restructure. I don't think any new players are coming in at that position necessarily, but in defensive end, I think it's a lot different. You have to decide, and I do think they have to get better at defensive end, get a true edge rusher, a guy that people have to, you know, take into account on a down to down basis. Now maybe AJ Vanessa gets a little bit better. You have to hope on that. You know, it wasn't his fault. What happened last year. He didn't have much of an off season, things like that. i like some things I saw from him, but you can't count on him being that guy. Um, I really like, it's funny when I was doing the article on defensive ends and pass rushers, I expected to really like Carl Lawson the most. And I do like Carl Lawson. I think the bills can go out and get Carl Lawson, but, you know, he's, he's also, he's kind of average against the run. And, you know, the last two years he's had 10 and a half sacks total over two years. He had a really good rookie year, which I think people fall in love with. If you sign him, I think you're hoping he gets back to that, but you can't, is he going to, I don't know. That's a good question, but I do like him. The guy I really like though, isn't an elite true pass rusher, but he's a very good player all around. And that's Matthew Judon of the Ravens. I think Matthew Judon would help this defense because He can play off the ball, on the ball. He can get to the – to the. he's had over 30, like 35 sacks or so in the last four years anyway. But, man, he brings some nasty to him. I think they need an edge to them in the front seven that they don't have necessarily. I think he's a physical player. I think they need more physicality up front. So, I like him. Trey Hendrickson is a young guy, 13 and a half sacks from the Saints. I like him a lot as well. Um, So, I think those are guys – Melvin Ingram, I I, I like Melvin Ingram. but Man, I'd be scared because – he had a lot of consistent production, and all of a sudden he had two knee injuries last year, didn't have one sack, and he missed nine games. So I think there's some things that they can do there and look at, and I do wonder what it would mean for Addison. You know, Addison's 34. Jerry Hughes is 33. These guys are older. They can still – Addison led the team in sacks with five. I'm not eager to move on, but if they can get a guy that you could plug in there, then you have to think about that.
0: Absolutely, and, you know, there's going to be tons of options. I think one thing that uh, a lot of people – Fail to mention when talking about the defensive tackles I don't think we talk about cutting Quentin Jefferson and cutting Vernon Butler if it also weren't for the you know the emergence of Justin Zimmer I think he's just as good yes, and agreed. played just as good as those guys and, it, and he makes them expendable I mean it, Justin Zimmer is working on probably I'd say like one-eighth the salary of, of Vernon Butler and he's just as good. So it it makes a guy like Vernon Butler, unfortunately for him expendable and, and, but those guys will find jobs somewhere in the NFL. You know, they're, they're quality dev players. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if the bills felt out a trade market for either for any of those guys. I don't know if there is going to be one, but you know, we've seen Brandon Bean make deals for seventh round picks for sixth round picks. Uh, And speaking of Brandon Bean deals, this kind of goes back to our tight end conversation, too. I always say that Brandon Bean has two misses, trading Wyatt Teller and giving away Logan Thomas, which would make if if that never happened and those guys played for the Bills like the way they do now, the Bills would be quite a team. Uh, The last position group I want to touch on is the offensive line. Uh, Tons of free agents right now. The only people who started the final game. Who are back under contract for certain are Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. Uh, we saw Mitch Morse miss a couple games due to his like sixth concussion, I believe. Uh, the guard spot is thin with Feliciano being a free agent, Cody Ford coming off injury, Daryl Williams is a free agent at right tackle. Uh, there's there's ta- there's a lot of talent in those groups, but there's a lot of questions with those players in terms of coming off injury as well as uh, free agency. With not a lot of cap space, what do you see the Bills doing? Kind of with that uh, Daryl Williams for John Feliciano and guys like that, or do they try and go through the draft and maybe through free agency and you know go
2: a new route? Well, you know, it's funny. I I agree with you what you said, Dawkins and Morse. But I still wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me if you know Mitch Morse if they moved on from him uh, and they and they re-signed Feliciano to play center. I think they like that. Remember, Mitch Morris was a healthy scratch for a game last year, right? And mm-hmm. and I know it came right for the concussion and people thought, oh, that's why. But Sean McDermott made it clear that was a football decision. That was not a concussion or health decision at all. So you wonder. Now they don't save a ton of money. It's like four and a half, but you know, you do wonder if that's the case. I think there's less of a chance of it happening than happening. But I would keep my 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 mind open to maybe, you no, know, that's another guy. And then if that happens, that's only because you get fully sciano back and you put him at center. If that's not the case, then you don't do it. I do really think John Feliciano resigns with Buffalo. I think he wants to be in Buffalo. He loves it in Buffalo. I don't think his market's going to be super high. You know, they got, they had, uh, Quentin Spain had a really good year a couple of years ago. They got him back for three years, 15 million. That's not bad. And that, of course it didn't work out, but if that's what you're looking at for Feliciano, go right ahead. I think you can mm-hmm. absorb that. Darrell Williams is going to be a little tougher. Um, you know, it's a right tackle. He he's he, he was an all pro player a few years ago. Then he got hurt and he had this season he had this year, which on national TV took care of. TJ Watt. I think people know that, see that. Right. So I think it'll be tougher. They'll probably try, but I wouldn't be surprised me if they try to find the next Daryl Williams, if that makes sense. Someone who, Hey, you know what? This guy's kind of on the trash heap somewhere. No one believes in him. We can make this guy into what we need. The X factor on the O line is Cody Ford. You have to decide two things with Cody Ford. Number one, where does he play? I mean, that that's number one, first and foremost. And number two, is he good enough to actually play in that spot to be your guy, whether that's left guard, right tackle, You know, I think Ike Butker did a really nice job last year when he came in. I mean, if if they put Cody Ford back at right tackle, probably not his best position he's shown, but okay, if you're gonna try that, or are you gonna put Cody Ford back at left guard, which I do think it was his best spot, but I'm still not convinced that you know he's gonna be a long-term solution there. So I think that's something they have to think about. They have to do a little better job in the O-line, running the ball, of course. Brandon Bean even alluded to, you know, them being better running the ball he said it's not all in the running backs i think that means we have to be better blocking up front um it wouldn't surprise me they draft a lineman or two i don't think they draft linemen that come in and play right away though that i don't think this roster is set up for that you know um that would be, especially a guy at right tackle that would be a tough spot i think for a guy to come in and play right away if they lose their Williams. so i think it's either cody ford at right tackle or they try to find their next Daryl Williams if they can't re-sign him. I think that that's what they try to do.
0: Absolutely. And even before they signed Daryl Williams, the year before Ty and Secchi was a yep. similar, like similar idea, maybe definitely not the production of Daryl Williams, a similar idea, like cheaper tackle who doesn't have either had up and down seasons, Ty and Secchi's case a little odd. Cause he started in the NFL a little bit later, but I, I think they'll go that route. I wouldn't, I would, would be surprised if they picked a offensive lineman at number 30, unless one, a guy they're super high on falls. There's, this is a really good tackle draft. You don't need to pick a tackle in the top 10 to get a good guy, but you know, there's like, you know, you look down the list of tackles, the eighth, and the 10th guy, they can sit a year and, and end up being really good NFL players. Uh, the last position I want to touch up on talking about the running game, running back, you see lots of bills, fans calling for Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, uh, even if guys become available through free agency say, so I've heard some Chris Carson talk, things like that. I don't think it's as huge of a need for the Buffalo Bills because they're not going to ever turn into a running offense under Brian Dable. Uh, I don't think with Josh Allen will ever turn into a running offense. I think they should focus more on getting a playmaker instead of a running back. I think there are playmakers that are running backs. But I just want to get your thoughts on the running back position, what Buffalo will do if they'll just, they could end up sticking with the same room, resign Taiwan Jones for free agency, maybe keep TJ Elden or replace him with just another vet
2: back. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on the Bills running back? Yeah, I agree. I agree pretty much completely, completely with the way you said it, which is uh, they need somebody that can be a little more explosive and dynamic. Like I said earlier, like Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button, but that doesn't have to be a wide receiver. It can be a running back. It can be whoever. And if it isn't at TN, that's great. But that becomes a crowded room then, right. And, like, you're going to have to put that guy, if you take a guy at 30, I mean, look, the, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl with the, an incredible offense, and then they draft a running back in the first round in Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? I mean, because that's what he could help their offense with. So, um, I, I think that's an option for the Bills. I wouldn't mind seeing it. What I don't want the Bills to do is to go away from the financial structure they have, which is two young, rookie, two young running backs on rookie contracts. Devin Singletary, they sold for two more years on his rookie deal. Zach Moss for three more years. Fine, draft another one, and then maybe you have to spin Singletary for a pick or you have to decide if one of those guys is inactive. I don't know, but don't go out and spend a bunch of money. They shouldn't do that. This is not, like mm-hmm. you said, they're not going to be a running team. I think that's just a waste a waste of salary cap space, essentially, is what it comes down to. So, you know, I'm fine with that. And then um, I don't think Yeldon will probably be around. I think he, he should have played more. He didn't. He'll probably go look for elsewhere work where he can uh, fit in. You know, remember, they have Antonio Williams, who showed up week 17, looked pretty good. They're going to give him a shot, probably. I mean, people love Christian Wade. He, he really has a long, long shot to make the roster, but, you know, he's still on the roster. And then um, Taiwan Jones is, to me, whether he's, you know, he's in his 30s now, he's a core special teams player. Whether they sign him back or not, they're going to have somebody like him. Doesn't have to be a running back, though. It could be a defensive back, somebody who's going to be a core special teams player. So they're going to, the, people have to remember, they only really activated every game, two running backs last year, three with Jones, but Jones isn't a running back essentially. So only two running backs active last year. So what do you do if you draft like an ATN? I think that's when you have to make a decision and be willing to say, we're either going to make someone inactive, or we're going to have to trade somebody for an asset.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Bill's tons of questions this off season. Obviously we have a whole off season ahead of us, the NFL draft, free agency, and you know how, The draft can completely flip free agency upside down and vice versa. So, obviously, we can all speculate, but only Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and people in-house really know what the plan is. Uh, Sal, I'd like to thank you for joining me. For those of you who don't, you can follow uh, Sal on Twitter at SalSports. That's at S-A-L Sports. Um, You can catch him on WGR. You can check out the WGR website to get the full schedule and check out some of his previous content. Sal, thank you for joining me today. I really
2: appreciate your time, and have a good one. All right, Caleb. Thank you very much, buddy. I appreciate it.
0: Back to the Caleb the Show. I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in and thank my guests, Nick Bello and Sal Capaccio, for great interviews. I'm excited for next week and what we have to offer And for all you tuning in, I really appreciate you listening. You can follow me on Twitter at at CMHfilm or on Instagram at at Caleb Holfeth. That is at Caleb, or excuse me, at Caleb.Holfeth, at Caleb.H-O-L-F-O-T-H. I really hope you enjoyed my show. And if you listened in and have any feedback, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think. Good, bad, anything. Always love feedback. If it's bad, we'll look to improve. If it's good, I appreciate you for taking time out of your day to listen in. And that is the conclusion of the first episode of The Caleb Hope Show. We'll be back week, back next week on WSJU Radio, the same time slot as usual, 5 to 7 p.m. on Thursdays. And we will post that show as a podcast the following Friday. The next morning after, around midday, the podcast will go up on all of the sites that I posted on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and that's po- uh, podcast will be made using the app Anchor, one of the easiest podcast apps or sites to use. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. And, yeah, so <laughs> after that little spiel, now we're finally done with this stuff. But, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning into my show, everyone. If you're still there, if you're not, whatevs. Um, we'll be back next week, 5 to 7. More interviews, more fun, whole lot of fun. Adios, everyone see you later
1: yeah